Hi, I'm Jason Chung, head of the esports practice at Zuber Lawler. And I'm Philip Milestone, counsel at Zuber Lawler. Zuber Lawler is a law firm, and like any good lawyers, we have a big disclaimer for you. We are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. Until you pay us. So everything here is for entertainment purposes only. Again, until you pay us. This podcast is brought to you by virtualtimes.com. Virtualtimes.com, your news from the metaverse. Welcome, MetaSapiens, to What the Meta. This week, we have a very exciting guest, and obviously, uh, uh, we have a scintillating conversation with Philip to come. Uh, so I just wanted to, <laughs> to basically intro who we're going to get. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, the metaverse and how it fits with our future, and we've got a great guest. He's an investor, he's a speaker, and he's an author, and David Orban, and he's going to be helping us understand what the metaverse is actually capable of and why everything old is new again, at least when it comes to things like open standards and interoperability. So, Philip, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Jason. It's a beautiful day to be talking about the future, as always. <laughs> well, you know, since we last spoke, uh, the metaverse continues to be in the news. Uh, obviously, other things have happened as well in the in the related Web3 world in, in crypto. Uh, so I thought we should at least bring that up just because there's going to be a lot that, uh, you know, uh, that people are curious about. So uh, let's start with uh, the metaverse itself. Right. And, um, you know, recently uh, or there was a uh, uh, an interview with the Xbox head, um, Phil Spencer uh, at Microsoft, and he basically said that the current metaverse is a uh, poorly built video game. Um, and, uh, and obviously, uh, you know, he's, he's referring to things like Mark Zuckerberg previewing legs in the metaverse in terms of our avatars. Um, how do you feel about something like that? You know, uh, do you really feel that, uh, it's a poorly built video game? I have my thoughts, but I'm really interested in yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it looks like a poorly built video game and that is because sort of our interactions with it are not fluid yet. I think that there's a lot happening under the hood. I think there is great developments being made with, oh, what's the word? Tools in the metaverse, right? Um, things you can see, things that you can't. Um, I, there's developments being made sort of regularly in terms of sort of assets usable in the metaverse. I think hardware is going to lag, right? We've had this conversation a couple of times. Um, mm -hmm. But in general, sort of making uh, a real time, real world where you can manipulate it. I mean, I, I think it just takes a lot of computing power, right? Uh, you can do yeah. it in video games, right? I mean, the Unreal Engine, like I was playing Fortnite last night, and they have a fairly static, you know, island. I mean, I shouldn't say fairly static. They have an island that's, you know, 100% static, right? Except for some randomized objects, you know, which weapons appear and where the loot boxes are, etc. Um, and if that's the metaverse we want, I think we could probably build that, right? And then it would look like a very well-built video game. But I think the issue is <laughs> each of those words matter. Poorly built video game, right? He, I, I mean, granted, he's the CEO of, of Xbox, and you'd think he'd use video game in a positive way, but I don't think he is. <laughs> I think he's <laughs> saying like, oh, that, like, it just, it looks like a video game right now. Which to him is like, I can do that better, right? Why would you want to go to a metaverse for that, right? Come, come, come game with me. Uh, and so... What is going on with that? I, I just, it, it's just early, right? I mean, is he wrong? No, uh, I certainly don't spend any time in sort of metaverses away in, in anything close to what I spend in video games, right? Because they're cooler, they're more fun, they're less laggy. The, the hardware I use to access them are sort of 
easier to use, more comfortable for me. So what's going on? I think we're at the very beginning stages of a very big industry. And I think there are proponents and there are detractors. That's what I think is going on. You know, I, 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 I agree with you, Philip. And at the end of the day, I think it's also you know, our, the technology is not caught up with our imagination. And our mm. imagination is also not caught up with technology as well. Right. Mm. So, you know, we have infinite ability to, to manipulate worlds in the metaverse. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's supposed to be, at least uh, in terms of most metaverse uh, con concepts, it's supposed to be a collaborative world where we can actually make sustainable changes. But mm. video games aren't built that way. If you've ever played uh, NBA 2K or, or, or Fortnite or anything like that, it's a, it's a pretty static world with some interoperable, uh, aspects to it right and, and and the fact that you can purchase some things in game and use it in, on your character but does that have lasting effect in the world uh no it probably gets rebooted or you know uh every time you complete that transaction and it's maybe dynamic for you but it's not dynamic for anyone else in the sense that there's no persistent change that lasts in the environment so the metaverse is completely different in terms of concept and i i don't think quite frankly we know how to deal with that and i don't think we have the technology to deal with that as well right and also, I, I, I do point out to people, and, uh, you know, uh, this is a little bit of a trick, but, you know, that's not exactly what Phil Spencer said either, right? That's not the complete thought that he had, right? So, you know, the headline obviously points to that it's a poorly built video game, and I think we agree with it. Uh, but he also did say that, you know, metaverses will figure out how to improve over time. And that was obviously a big thing that was left out of, of the conversation or, or at least the headlines, right? And uh, that's the issue today. You know, we're talking about video games, which are closed interactive systems and interactive only for us, right? But yeah, the metaverse will change because there's going to be more people that are conversant on how to change it. There are going to be more standards where we can have persistent changes in worlds, you know, and and then questions about who owns it and how do we collectively own it and how do we do all these things are going to be addressed at some point to, uh, to the satisfaction of developers who will then be able to confidently put more time into building these spaces. There's just a lot to unpack. And, you know, this is a question that I have for you, Phil. I mean, like, you know, we're talking about Meta and what they're trying to do and what Mark Zuckerberg is trying to do, but interoperability is super important. And it's something that obviously we'll be talking with our guests with, but about, but why is there so current little emphasis on interoperability between virtual worlds? Um, you know, why is there sort of this rush to own, quote unquote, the metaverse? Um, because people think that exclusion equals revenue. And I think that over, I mean, again, this is my point, David makes it, but over time you realize that's just not the case, right? Uh, you need sort of something universal, some sort of standard that works. And we do see that in web three. I mean, there are standards out there. I mean, so your basic, you know, fungible token versus non-fungible token, like that, those are sets mm -hmm. of standards as to sort of how these things act, what they can do, what they can't do, what they should do, how they're written. Um, it's the same way we have standards for, um, you know, Wi-Fi or electricity, right? The fact that every plug in this on this continent, at least, you know, in the contiguous 48, if I plug something into it, the plug looks the same and I get the same voltage, the same electricity, right? That's a standard. And that honestly took time. Um, I was recently in New York and there's a reason why, you know, some of the trains look wider than the other trains. It's because there was a wider gauge track, right? Again, it just takes time. And at the beginning you had competition where you had these different rail companies who were saying, no, 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 use mine, not theirs. And I want to make sure that you can't, you know, build here or use my, my, my track. So I'm going to make it different. And, you know, it didn't work out so well for them. I mean, I guess it did a little bit. It was very rich. People got very rich very early in railroads. Um, 
And that's what you Metasapiens came here for today. That type of this incisive insight, right? Invest in railroads, kids. You're <laughs> going to be millionaires. Um, no, but the idea is just that standards definitely do exist. And I think that in the beginning, in any industry is the point I'm trying to make, from railroads to metaverse, you're going to have people trying to carve out their niche, make their niche unique, and make you commit, right? Um, before I was doing law in the metaverse, I was doing law in employment contexts. And there's a reason why we disallow the payment of employees in company script. It's because we, th we think it's not right and not fair that you'd be forced to shop in one place. Monopolies are not, I shouldn't say are, monopolies, at least theoretically, are a bad idea in this country. And so <laughs> I think what you're seeing here is, you know, that urge towards monopoly. And as long as we have, you know, several players, that's good. You know, that creates competition and one hopes someone will win. Um, and that's what I think is going on. I don't think it's nefarious, right? Zuck has a lot of money, uh, but he's definitely not sort of winning the metaverse early wars. I, I don't think, right? I mean, that might come back to bite me. But all this is, is companies trying to make you shop with only them. And eventually that will not work. Um, the same way that money is fungible and I can use it in every shop, even though every shop is different, I think there's going to come a time when the metaverse will become the context in which I operate, not the place I go. If that makes sense. Oh, and we'll be talking about fungibility and non-fungibility very soon. But, you know, I wanted to sort of, uh, you know, complete that thought. I, I mean, you know, actually, you brought up a very good point that any new technology usually has people that want to capitalize on it first and create a monopoly system. I mean, it even and, and it, the infrastructure gets built out differently. So, for instance, mm -hmm. in Japan, you've got two different uh, electricity grids because half the country decided to go with a, with a certain voltage and the, uh, the other half decided to go with another voltage because mm -hmm. that was who built the infrastructure. Right. Mm. And I think it's the same thing here. Uh, you know, lots of people try to own Web 2.0, right? Yeah. CompuServe, AOL. Uh, they all eventually did fail to control the, the, the entire web because ultimately, I think the other part that 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 you're alluding to is that no one company can really or conglomerate can really create enough options for something as fast as the internet or the metaverse, right? I mean, ultimately, uh, yeah, I'll be honest, I have a, a bunch of streaming uh, subscriptions that come with various different services around the house. But even, even with all of those options, I get bored very frequently uh, in terms of you know what uh, you know established studios can offer me, whereas the hive mind of YouTube can offer me content that I'll consume in five, 10 minute clips, almost infin you know, infinitely. Uh, so I think it's, there's just, the internet is insatiable, right? The hive mind is always more creative because that's that's how humans work. So mm. hopefully, uh, you know, uh, open standards and interoperability and all that kind of stuff will arise just like it did for Web 2.0, just out of necessity because there's just too many people doing too many interesting things, yeah. right? But who knows? I hate to, I hate to paint this uh, ridiculous example, but and I, again, probably proven wrong. But right now, like Reddit is a thriving community and Twitter's dying. And I think that some of that is because, you know, Reddit allows sort of its users to have a lot of control. Um, there's, of course, debate around that. You know, it's a, mods are regularly demonized. But Twitter's got one person at the top. And it's that, actually, I mean, that, that's centralization. And that's exactly what one, people say Web3 is about, right? We need to sort of decentralize. Because when you have these sort of single unifying actors, things go south, right? <sighs> Twitter's one example. FTX is another. People like to say that, oh man, like FTX, it's just showing you that crypto is just a scam. And like, no, man, it's not. This is not the fault of, of crypto. This is because you had it too much centralization. You had one person making really 
oh, I made bad decisions, right? Certainly without the checks and balances that are built into sort of 20th century, 19th century corporate structures, right? That was a problem of centralization, not decentralization. You know, he could have done this with, you know, any, any commodity. He just did it with tokens. So I, again, like you're saying, the Web3 technology, the internet, like language in its best form, is free to use. No one company, no one group can own language the same way that no one can own technology because they're really both means of communication and we will always find a way around it, right? I mean, I think that's some of the beauty of uh, human innovation is we'll always find a way to talk to each other no matter how oppressive <laughs> our context. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be you know, highly political or technological, right? I mean, there's a reason that people think it's awesome to put doom on any computer they can find. It's just a way for them to communicate with each other. And I think that's awesome. You know, you mentioned it, and I, I got to go there uh, in terms of what happened with FDX. So, you know, uh, Philip, in, in terms of Cole's notes, uh, which, which doesn't exist anymore because that got consumed by Spark notes and other things. But anyway, uh, what happened with FTX? Like, why, you know, why are we talking about Sam Bankman Fried and, and, and you know, what happened there? What, 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 what is FTX for the people who may not know, although I'm pretty sure they do if they're listening to this? Yeah. So, I mean, FTX was, a, was an exchange where you could, you know, buy and sell different tokens. Um, and Sam was its CEO and founder. And it turns out that he was taking deposits that people were putting into FTX and using them for purposes that didn't necessarily further the interests of either those investors or those account holders or the company itself. Uh, lending money to institutions he controlled, uh, specifically an investment arm, um, Alameda, and you know, buying himself lavish things. I read this morning, I think his parents uh, somehow bought a $120 million house in the Bahamas. I mean, it... I certainly am not the source for this news. By all means, go out to any news outlet, put in FTX, and you get more facts than this. What I see um, is, again, a, a company run very badly. Uh, and that's why we need sort of the checks and balances of companies. And we need to sort of take authority away from centralized figures because there are you know hundreds of thousands, millions of people who have lost a ridiculous amount of money because of this situation. And that's very sad. And I think that that's the takeaway um, is uh, we're still humans behind these coins and we're humans running it. The point of decentralization is to try to sort of avoid our worst vices. So I think FTX is ultimately a lesson in embracing the future instead of taking the worst parts of the past and forcing that onto the future. And that's a theme that we've talked about in this podcast a lot. You know, here we have this new thing, you know, it is the metaverse. And it and this was uh, Jonathan Stringfield's point when we had him on, right? We need to learn the lessons of the past. This was David Orban's point on, in the upcoming episode you all are going to see. And, you know, I, I clearly age myself talking about railroads and J Jason ages himself talking about Cole's notes. But David, you know, <laughs> he thankfully has more experience than either of us, right? He's been around in this this industry, this space with, with leading thinkers for a really long time. And it keeps on coming back to the same theme, learn the lessons of the past. And uh, Sam Bankman-Fried just <laughs> either did not or did a little bit too well, depending on who you ask. But <laughs> either way, um, it was that FTX is a debacle. I don't think it's going to ruin crypto. I don't think it's going to ruin the metaverse. I don't think it's going to ruin sort of anything. I think it's just, you know, same way Bernie Madoff didn't ruin finance. Um, he's just a criminal who did terrible things. And that's, I hope, you know, the lesson taken away 
at the same time, I don't want to suggest that you know, this is some sort of abstract situation about the metaverse and crypto. There are real people impacted by this, and that's that's awful, and that probably makes me just sad. It is very sad. It, it definitely impacts real people. I don't think, like you, it will ruin the concept, but it will definitely impact it, right? And, and the way I see it is it'll impact it in terms of governance, right? Every it's amazing to me, you know, having been around for for now a, a couple of generations of, of of the web and and other iterations of uh, of technology. Everybody, every generation thinks that they're going to revolutionize the world and get rid of all these governance structures that are that you know that 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 underpinned our society because they're inefficient or or, or they give uh, a lack of control to individual users. And of course, we're going to create the tools and own the tools that are going to, to revolutionize the world, right? And, uh, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, if you look at what FTX was, it was an exchange, right? Which is a weirdly a centralization of a of something that wants to be decentralized finance. So think about that contradiction right there, right? Um, and ultimately the, the issue that, that occurs is that when you set up these structures or when you engage in some sort of centralization without the governance, without the oversight necessary to actually run things, you end up in subpar situations. Sometimes you can attribute to human greed and people at the top. And some people are definitely doing that with uh, with the former CEO and, uh, and his affiliates. But um, it could also be attributed to just sheer incompetence, right? And, and, what's, and the problem with that is that there is always a price to pay for that, right? Mm -hmm. It may not show up right away. In fact, you might shoot, you know, to, to borrow Dogecoin loan, uh, uh, you know, Dogecoin, uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, terminology, you might shoot to the moon, mm -hmm. but eventually if it's well, or if it's poorly run or it's incompetently run and people come asking for the receipts, uh, you're going to have a run, uh, just like they used to have run on banks, uh, you know, and then in fact, that's the reason why there's the Federal Reserve and all that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a run on all kinds of uh, financial speculators and, and uh, commodity speculators all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And usually you have backstops, you have governance to, to deal with it. And people, before people say, oh, you're, you're a former government guy, you want to just centralize everything. Thing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm mm. saying is that whether you want to centralize it or you want to regulate it, usually for the retail investor, having protections is usually a good thing. Um, just simply because you don't operate with enough capital to move the needle in any way. So that's what retail investors are finding out right now. And it does impact the metaverse and how it's going to govern itself in the future as well, because people were looking and people still are looking at crypto as the means of exchange. But who's going to how are we going to deal with that? Is it going to be peer to peer like it would like the original conception? Is it going to go flow through exchanges? These are all governance questions that we're going to have to deal with together. You're right. Um, and I think that in an interesting way that all the things also speak past each other, right? Centralized or decentralized. Again, I don't think is the issue. It's governance, right? There are plenty of centralized exchanges out there, Gemini and Coinbase, right? I mean, you, people have their opinions of them, but they're certainly not to my knowledge currently taking the money that their account holders give them and buying yachts, right? So in that sense, they're, you know, being run in some sort of semi-orderly fashion. There's peer-to-peer -peer exchanges out there, right? Decentralized exchanges exist for a reason. And one hopes that all the actors playing in them, I mean, they're, they're designed, one, at least, where those multiple actors will somehow influence each other to come to a right decision in terms of the money. And there's no one in the middle who, who can control the thing, we hope, right? Some of these are sort of black boxes. We don't know exactly where the power lies. We saw this happen with uh, Luna and Terra. And so you have, uh, again, centralization hiding there. Unchecked centralization, I think, is the issue. Not crypto, not exchanges, not money, not people, not capitalism. Um, it's just greed is the problem. And that's always been the problem. And, and you're right, right? Regulation does matter. I think that there is some sort of 
happy medium. You know, Thoreau said that government is best, which governs least. And I don't know if that's always true. Um, certainly, one of my favorite responses to that the libertarian argument was uh, was when John Stewart was talking to somebody I don't remember, and this person was banging the table about, "Don't you want freedom?" And John looked him in the eye and said, "Yes, but I also like it when my water is lead free." And in that sense, like regulation does really matter, and we, we need that, right? Retail protection. We need to, for people to sort of have that baseline. There certainly is no FDIC for crypto deposits at the moment. Do we want that? I don't know. You know, we need smarter people than me to figure that out. Um, do we need people enforcing rules against insider trading and, and the exploitation of, of innocence? Yes. But does that mean that the SEC should be all powerful over all crypto? I don't think so, right? So we've got to find that middle ground and we're early in it. One hopes that Web3 has this sort of special ability where the thing that's sort of central to it um, in so cryptocurrencies can, at least in, in theory, offer a way out, right? DAOs are really interesting things insofar as they use this technology to govern. Um, it's sometimes messy and slow, but you'd think that if there were many, 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 many signatures or, or, or consents necessary to move the money around FTX, perhaps the, these worst excesses wouldn't have happened. Um, that doesn't mean that DAO is the answer or crypto is the answer. I mean, just a board of directors paying attention probably would have prevented this situation. So that's what we need. Whatever your council looks like, whatever your check or balance looks like, you know, be it Web3, be Web2, be it 17th century, look for that when you are doing anything with anything that's important to you, be it money, be it your assets, be it honestly, like how you vote. <laughs> I don't want to get political, but look, you know, look for this sort of wise thought and, and, and consent processes. And if you have that, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll avoid the worst excesses of, of singularity, pun intended, because we have David coming in, right? And David talks about the singularity, talks about AI, and how we can use this to actually address some of these problems. Um, it was a really fantastic interview, because like I said, David's been around for a long time, and he has his, 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 his mind is touching so many of these places, certainly crypto, certainly Web3, but also artificial intelligence. He has great ideas for what the metaverse should be and how we can interact with it, interact with it and how we can interact with it. Um, you said at the beginning of this pod, Jason, that sort of our minds are ready for the technology and the technology is not ready for our minds. And I think David sort of comes in, you know, swooping in with artificial intelligence saying, aha, like I can help you out here. So it's just, it's a wonderful sort of time spent with someone who sees this from, you know, not 30, but you know, 40, 50 or 60,000 feet out and can really help us understand what's happening now in a context that is going to help inform our next decision. Because like we've been saying, like all of our guests have been saying, don't let the future be dictated by the past. Let it be influenced by it in the best possible way. I think that was a, a, a 90s alt rock song, uh, but oh, uh, as well, <laughs> but, you know, but uh, you know, I can't in introduce David Orban better than that. So uh, why don't we throw the interview right now? Welcome, MetaSapiens. Today, we're here with David Orban, who's a managing advisor at the Beyond Enterprises. And he's got a lot of insights for us on how the metaverse looks and really how the future of tech looks. So, uh, David, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, David, uh, I think the MetaSapiens uh, would love to hear about your journey uh, in in. in not only in the metaverse, but in technology and blockchain in general. And so if you could introduce yourself and talk about your journey, I, I think that'd be a great place to start. Um, I will be happy to, and you know, with the uh, white in the beard, I can uh, uh, 
uh, underline how uh, there have been uh, all kinds of adventures uh, around this uh, journey. I uh, originally studied physics and then uh, started um, my professional career in uh, AI. At the time, artificial intelligence was uh, top-down uh, with programming languages uh, like Lisp and Prolog and expert systems. Uh, where you uh, aimed to extract the knowledge of uh, a human um, expert in a particular field and uh, create rules uh, around uh, how the so-called inference engine uh, would uh, recommend at the end uh, what to do, uh, approve a given loan application or... Uh, uh, recommend a given um, uh, treatment uh, or many other things. And it was kind of a dead end because all of these systems uh, were too brittle and they would uh, be extremely hard to maintain. Uh, the knowledge acquisition process itself was uneven. Uh, there were very few established processes that would... Um, make it uh, uh, repeatable and reliable. Anyway, uh, regardless of that, uh, which uh, ended up uh, being what at the time was called AI winter mm -hmm. uh, with uh, funding uh, drying up and uh, um, a lot of companies uh, going belly up. Um, I, I was absolutely fascinated by the, the potential, also as a, an avid science fiction reader. Uh, but um, funny enough, uh, my first uh, encounter uh, with virtual reality was at the very beginning in those same years uh, when I was working with Jaron Lanier, uh, who coined the term virtual reality his uh, data glove, uh, which was a fiber optic based uh, contraption, literally a glove that you would wear on, on your hand mm -hmm. and uh, the original uh, visor, uh, which was uh, uh, wireframe black and white uh, and sufficiently primitive uh, that the uh, delay in your head movement and the refresh rate of the scene in front of you would almost unavoidably um, make you um, nauseous. But uh, the the whole thing still was absolutely uh, fascinating. I remember um, my grandmother tried it as well. And my grandmother was able at the time to, uh, one of the demos was that you would grab a box, look around, put it down, open the lid. And then inside the box, there was a bowl and you would take out the bowl and you would throw it and the bowl would roll. And so the fact that uh, she at um, 80 years old or whatever uh, was able to do that, uh, for me, it was a great uh, proof point that, yep, there is a there there. Yeah. Uh, jumping ahead a few years, I was also um, among the first few thousand people that uh, uh, 
waded through the empty cornfields of uh, the uh, beta version of Second Life uh, before anything uh, was was built. And uh, I remember the fascination, uh, which is still, I think, a hugely important and, and greatly neglected point that from within the experience you could start building mm. um, and and um, i don't know how many of our uh, viewers or listeners are familiar with second life uh, it was born in the middle of the first decade of the third millennium i <laughs> uh, almost 20 years ago uh, but um, uh, you didn't need a visor uh, to uh, experience it um, mm -hmm. Your, your empathy, just like in, in the video games, uh, uh, looking at your flat monitor um, and the projection of the 3D world was, was enough. But uh, your avatar could grab things, uh, could create objects, could link objects, and, and very sophisticated things could be built and were and are still built in world with tools uh, that are inside of the world itself, rather than having to rely on third-party tools that require professional training and uh, have a very, very high barrier to entry, as it is the case with too many of the metaverses, as we call them today. Uh, last point since you asked of this uh, somewhat longish uh, introduction is that um, I have also uh, been able uh, to experience and experiment with Bitcoin since the beginning uh, as well as you know uh, all the other crypto uh, waves that uh, that came after uh, I, I was always very interested in um, uh, in the cipher punk uh, movement, how to cryptography uh, empowered superior communication and organization, as well as uh, familiar uh, with the 414 error message of our browsers. Hmm. 404 is when there is the page not found and everyone knows about it. 414 is an error message that you never see because people for some crazy reason um, don't even try to make things work on this darn internet of ours and it is payment method missing so in the mid 90s people realized yeah we need a payment on the web and then nothing happened for the next 20 years, hmm. which is outrageous. And still, uh, we use the technology out of the 50s, which we call credit cards, to pretend that we are doing e-commerce. We are not doing e-commerce. We are replicating this horrible uh, technology in the 21st century. So... That is why for me, when Bitcoin came about, I said, okay, this is it. This is what can become the native 
payment mechanism and then everything else, of course, uh, for the internet era uh, and and more. Uh, and and I, I, I will be able to tell a lot of uh, funny anecdotes um, around my experiments with, uh, with Bitcoin uh, 10 years ago and more. Uh, but uh, that's, that's the long, long intro about my uh, love of technology and, uh, and uh, how I like to, you know, get my hands dirty around it. So thank you so much for being here, David. Um, as a fellow Greybeard, I appreciate not only the long answer, but the call outs to technology that's <laughs> 20 years old, right? Which is um, not that long to all of you that aren't Greybeards. Uh, I am curious though, so virtual reality, I can see leading into the metaverse naturally. Um, uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular, I mean, insofar as it's digitally native, okay, but we don't need a metaverse to do it. And artificial intelligence, again, really interesting, getting better. I know you work with Singularity University, so I and there's a, I'm, I'm not doubting there's a future there, but neither AI nor cryptocurrency necessarily lend themselves to a metaverse in the way that virtual reality, I think, does. Do you think that all three of those are necessary legs to the metaverse stool, or do you think we can do without one or more of them? Um, yes, we could, but why would we? Uh, why uh, would you, for example, uh, walk around in a street with some contraption that would you you could only see the world black and white? Hmm. Um, most of us uh, see color. And we enjoy seeing color or smelling something. Um, I'm thinking of chicken, for example. Um, but uh, the reason why I think um, not only blockchain and AI, but also other components are really so important for a complete metaverse experience is because the aim of those who are passionate about a metaverse is to enable uh, the, the people um, inhabiting it today or tomorrow to have an experience that is as complete as possible. So depriving them of rich um, economic and financial opportunities of creating businesses that are native to the metaverse or depriving them of tools that are so advanced to be almost magical in helping them organize and achieve their goals would be almost uh, sadistic. <laughs> I, I hear you. Um, I don't disagree. I think that uh, certainly on this program, Jason and I have talked about the commodification, the commercialization of the metaverse. Um, one would think that uh, any, I'm sorry, one could argue, not that I would, that any commercialization, any commercialization of the metaverse is a cheapening of it. So whether we're mapping 1950s technology into the metaverse or we're using digital native currencies, um, do I want to replicate, I mean, in there, what I have out here? I think it's, a, it's another question. I think in a certain sense, it's inevitable, right? But in another um, I use video games to escape. I use science fiction to escape. I use movies to escape. There is a sense, I, I, I think, 
and I'm, I'm playing a little bit of the, <laughs> the devil's advocate here, that the metaverse, yes, it could be a complete experience that maps onto this one. But I wonder if that's what I want it to be. Do I want it to be an escape um, and instead have the true experience be a sort of augmented reality as opposed to a meta reality? And I think those are very different, right? Because virtual reality is certainly in the game, in the box, right? Wearing the goggles, wearing the suit, that's fine. Um, but I would want, I think I want that to be an escape. The metaverse that would sort of replicate real life, I would think would be, in, like I said, an augmented experience. Um, I, I, I like uh, what you are representing there, the uh, enjoyment of something that doesn't suffer from the constraints of the physical world and that can represent uh, a, a new way of um, both playing as well as um, releasing the tensions and the frustrations of, uh, uh, of uh, interactions that are uh, regulated by uh, progressive accretion of uh, rules that uh, you, you want to abandon. Uh, what I am expecting is that once the various components are available, as long as we are able to implement open and interoperable platforms, different people will take advantage of those components in so many different ways. Mm. And yes, we will have uh, metaverses that are dedicated to escapism, games and, and uh, entertainment, and no one will expect that the participants would generate value that they should retain, mm. besides the fact that they spent an hour or two and they had fun. But there will be others where at least a couple of things happen. One, which is the way that we link the metaverse to some definition of Web3, mm. that participating generates value that the participant can retain and recognizably deploy elsewhere whether this value is in terms of uh, being recognized as uh, a measurably important member of a community or a creator whose uh, uh, digital artifacts are uh, uh, of intrinsic value uh, whether it is something that the participant is actually able to monetize, mm. right? So this is, this is the first point. The second point is that there will be new degrees of freedom that will allow the um, experimentation in different types of social organization that may not only be um profitable not only be um of great value and advantage to those who participate but potentially they could be more inclusive more uh fairer um, 
more uh, equitable. Uh, and, and, and we don't know. We can only know if we play those experiments out. Mm. It could potentially, and this is where you uh, mentioned uh, AR rather than uh, VR, it could connect to the physical world to the point where the particular organizations that uh, give birth uh, or, 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 or gain existence in the metaverse through these experiments actually have tangible repercussions in the physical world, mm. i.e. you work and you have fun and you organize politically even uh, in these mixed realities and you do that under a new social contract you do it under new economic uh, realities and the concept that is linked here is that of for example uh, DAOs decentralized autonomous organizations that uh, promise to uh, allow um, objectives to be uh, attacked and potentially achieved uh, with an allocation of resources and human talent that is more efficient than not what happens in more traditional hierarchical organizations instead. Mm. So to go back to what you said at the beginning, just because these components are there, it doesn't demean the platform if you want to use it for pure enjoyment and entertainment. Those platforms, however, that preclude these components, for example, um, interoperable digital identity or uh, monetization of digital content and so on, those platforms that preclude these components to be there they will exist in what will be, I am sure, uh, a somewhat narrow and diminishing niche mm. of the broader metaverse mm. as we uh, come to, to, to know it in the future. Mm. You know that, David, what you said actually gets me thinking about the nature of interactivity uh, in, in the metaverse uh, or just online in generally, right? And what we have in store for our future. So recently, the, the, the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, uh, came out and, and said that, you know, the metaverse right now is, is, is a really bad experience, right? It's like a really bad video game. That's what he said, right? Um, that's what all the headlines said at the very least, right? The second part of what he said is what obviously didn't get picked up, which is that it will get better. Right, um, you know, and so to 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 your point about needing interoperable standards and and really opening it up so that people can can connect in various ways. Uh, how do you feel about what Meta is doing, for instance? Right, because obviously they want to create their own. Uh, I don't I don't like using the word sandbox because there is a metaverse called the sandbox, but you know they want to create their own playground, right? And uh, you know having after having spoken to several people at Meta and things like that, it, it sort of makes sense. And and I think uh, Zuckerberg has said that he wants to be able to. There were headlines that said he wants to control the future of 
you know, uh, meetings uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, economic exploitation in the metaverse, right? So virtual meeting rooms, uh, I think he made uh, headlines this week about creating legs for avatars, all that kind of stuff, really uh, replicating what we have here so that we can conduct business, very serious business in the, in the metaverse. How do, you, how do you feel about that, David? Uh, I laugh because Zuckerberg is young and uh, he has evidently very little historical memory or pretends that he doesn't understand that he's fighting what is ultimately a, a, a losing battle. Uh, the, the historical memory that he lacks is that when CompuServe and AOL were king and you could not literally send an email if I had an AOL address and you had a CompuServe address from David to Jason and all the tech giants of the time, including Microsoft, were busy building tools and platforms that would allow the creation of what we today call web pages in a manner that they believed would be completely owned and dominated by obviously them. Well, all of that is not only something we know failed, but unless you are a historian of, of technology, you don't even know that the attempt was made. Mm. Uh, there was a thing called um, Encarta that was the uh, Microsoft equivalent of what today we call Wikipedia, and it died. There were tools uh, that enabled hypertext authoring that were proprietary to Microsoft, and you created um, documents where you could click and open another document and so on interactively. And the tools and the documents and the investment of those that embrace them uh, are nowhere to be seen at all. And it was actually extremely smart and very surprising when uh, Bill Gates um, wrote um, a letter to the Microsoft employees and he said, we have to embrace the open internet. And that is when they decided to write Internet Explorer, which was the first browser that people ended up experiencing. And uh, they were able to turn the ship in time to actually survive. The reason why you don't know what CompuServe is probably and you do know what America Online is, AOL, but you don't, uh, well, it doesn't exist anymore, is because they didn't turn the ship fast enough. They didn't embrace open standards. So absolutely, Facebook has a choice. Do they want to do what they are doing or do they want to survive? So I hear you a thousand percent. And I understand when we're talking about the tools we use, that we have a choice to use or not, that interoperability is a benefit, certainly in terms of 
maximizing users and, and therefore um, making money on the thing. Um, the metaverse, I think, I, I will at least posit, is different because even though we have interoperable technology, we still have gated communities. So I can choose to live behind walls. And insofar as the metaverse becomes more like real life, right? It's gonna be less like technology where openness and interoperability is gonna be the goal. And it might reflect the, I'm not gonna say bad or evil, but the dividing uh, uh, instincts of, of, of humans to make ourselves tribal, to build walls, to build barriers. And even though the technology certainly has a propensity towards openness, are we gonna get in our own way and build walled gardens in the metaverse to replicate how we live here? Um, once again, let me agree, because um, it has been always an issue of, and, and it was relatively easy to understand that uh, if we implement um, interoperable teleport options between different worlds, then someone will abuse the possibility of entering a medieval game with a space laser and killing every enemy uh, from afar rather than having to fight with an alabard or a sword, mm. right? So definitely uh, when we, we are talking about uh, historical precedent, it doesn't mean that it uh, is replicated in one by one. It means that uh, we have to apply uh, smart ways of thinking about how to uh, achieve the benefit uh, of, of multiplying the experiences rather than restricting them and controlling them. Um, and, and we don't have a solution yet, by the way, to how uh, to um, uh, preserve the culture of communities while keeping them as open as possible, mm -hmm. right? It's not that we don't have them in the metaverse. We don't have that solution in the physical world either, yeah. right? Um, but uh, the cost of making mistakes in the physical world is not orders of magnitude, literally infinitely higher than not the cost of making mistakes in the metaverse. And that is why I constantly go back about experimentation and learning, because what we can learn in the metaverse then can teach us important lessons uh, in um, the physical world as well. Let me tell you a little story. Um, you know, whatever it was, 2006 or 2007, I don't know. Um, in, in, in Second Life, uh, you had and you still have uh, islands and um, uh, there are sandboxes that, uh, that uh, enable you to uh, instantiate objects, but they typically disappear in an hour in order to clean up the, the sandbox. Mm. So in that year, I had an island uh, that I made available to anyone as a persistent sandbox, the object didn't disappear. And what that immediately meant 
is that if you kept littering with some stupid stuff that you left around, uh, the island would fill up and no one could be able to use it. So the constraints of the digital world led to the community self-developing um, certain rules and expectations and civil uh, coexistence that were fascinating to, to see. And, and I, I was just there, you know, nudging and, and nurturing positive outcomes, but everything, tens of thousands of people experienced that it is possible to build collaboration and cooperation rather than conflict and fight and polarization. And they experienced it firsthand on uh, that, uh, that island, including that politicians came to then give speeches and try to proselytize or, or uh, promote their causes and messages and, uh, and brands and um, so many other things. Um, it was a really fervent uh, moment for, for, for people to, to learn. And again, back to Facebook, it's missing. It is such a curated, uh, constrained environment that there is actually very little to learn, very little to, to be excited about. Uh, you go in, you sit down, uh, you scribble on the whiteboard, and I'm talking about the latest version of uh, uh, the meta workspace, right? You scribble on the whiteboard, you invite someone else, uh, they are there sitting around uh, the meeting room as well. And uh, it's, it's completely unexciting um, to the point that it is easy to dismiss the whole concept of metaverse thanks to how poor that ex experience is. Mm. And, um, and um, it, is, it is a pity. Uh, because they have uh, so much um, talent that they could deploy, human talent, and, and uh, almost unlimited resources for the moment. Uh, and um, what they are creating is, is uninspiring. Mm. I mean, I, I don't disagree. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that your impetus, your, your drive, I, th and I think most people in who aren't meta who are interested in the metaverse want the same thing um in an open interoperable space that sort of allows for experimentation and that's so much of what that technology began telling us about is going to help us do i think dealing with the resources necessary to make a seamless experience we're going to need the help of if not quite artificial intelligence very fast processors that know what we want or can anticipate us to a certain degree. Certainly digitally native um, objects, be they NFTs or, or cryptocurrencies are going to be the easiest way to go about it because nobody's going to want to stop and wait for my visa card to swipe through. Like this is, this has to be much, much quicker than that. Um, and, 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 and when you mention AIs again, uh, the uh, point is that we will have very advanced AI, but in order to gain value in the metaverse experience, we need simple AI. Mm. 
that has the ability to understand the context of what we are talking about, what is the meaning of various objects, and that can uh, assist us um, as a relatively dumb uh, robot uh, through its own avatar so that we do what we want to do uh, faster, more enjoyably, with less frustration. Yeah. And, and, and those kinds of assistance, um, in my opinion, are so trivially useful. It yeah. is so evident that they are useful that I am surprised Web2 platforms like LinkedIn not only don't have them, but they actively prohibit them. Well, do you remember Clippy? The original from, <laughs> and, and what a terrible experiment that was. I feel like people have a lot of PTSD from Clippy <laughs> being present, trying to could help be, me. Could be, could be. And, <laughs> uh, yes, and, and, and I think the consequence of, uh, uh, or, or um, very easy uh, corollary of what you just said is that the best way to avoid human frustration, uh, a consequence of uh, the limitations of these assistants, is to make sure that most of the interactions are um, among the assistants themselves. Mm. So, for example, if I were allowed to uh, code and uh, unleash a digital assistant inside LinkedIn to act on my behalf, mm -hmm. um, I would be perfectly fine for that digital assistant 99% of the time to have a dialogue, not with another human, but with the digital assistant of another human. Mm -hmm. And then they can work out and decide it's worth it or not, or, or, or how it is. But we could concentrate on, on our own things uh, uh, without dumbing ourselves down hmm. right you know it's a uh, from the gaming context it's always amazing to me that we all have virtual there's so many virtual assistants uh in in gaming you know like cortana uh you know uh, and, and glitch and other other things but uh you know we don't have <laughs> right now the metaverse doesn't have that little assistant joining us and uh, I, I look forward to that future <laughs> so David, thank you very much for joining us today. I, I really appreciate uh, your time. Philip, do you have any wrap-up questions or anything you'd like to, to just just to say thank you, David. I, the the vision, um, I I love the the breadth of it, the history that you bring to this. I think it's it's so important. You are you are not our first guest who is both excited about the future, but you know. It wants to be certain that we've learned the lessons from the past and implementing the future. Right? We cannot make the same mistakes again. Um, so I just, I, I appreciate your voice in, in helping us as we build this new future. Well, thank you very much for having me and uh, my cat uh, thanks you as well. Perfect. Thank you thank very you, much. Thank you, David.